0: We are going to be taking a short break for the next few weeks from uh, the book of Acts, John chapter 18, and I want to read verses 1 through 11. This is the inerrant word of God. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, Of those whom you gave me I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word, and I pray that you would anoint my lips, enable me to faithfully preach it, and quicken the word to our hearts that we may grow thereby and that we may glorify you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the next few weeks leading up to Resurrection Day, I want to uh, cover some passages that occurred in the last 24 hours of uh, Christ's life. I'll be focusing on the uh, miracles, probably, mostly on the miracles, and Pastor Glenn is going to be focusing on some other events uh, during that same uh, time period, the last week of Christ. And today we're going to be looking at the healing of Malchus' ear. It's kind of a strange miracle, but I think it is a miracle that so beautifully shows the love of Christ and the purpose for which he came into the world. Has anyone seen the ear of Malchus? Uh, Kind of a strange title for a sermon, but that was probably the comment that some of the people were making after they witnessed. And I think that that ear is a testimony or a witness to God and his presence. Uh, It was a sign that authenticated Jesus to be who he claimed to be. And we saw in the book of Acts that uh, this was one of the purposes for uh, the uh, miracles. They were signs of an apostle, but they were also signs of Jesus, that he was authenticated. They were signs of believers. Uh, They are sometimes just signs of God's uh, good pleasure, but it's not only miracles that are signs, the whole creation testifies to God's existence, to his power, to his love, his mercy. And Romans says even to his wrath. You know, when we were at the Grand Canyon, not only did my mouth uh, drop open, you just stare and stare, you can't get over how incredible the Grand Canyon is, but the thing that keeps flooding into my mind, this is testimony to the universal flood, to God's wrath against sin. And God has strewn these kinds of silent testimonies into every person's life. Uh, The ears of Malchus are everywhere. And uh, part of the purpose, the introduction at least to this sermon, is to help alert you to recognizing those ears of Malchus. And uh, as I go through this, uh, I think a little bit later, you're going to start to understand what I'm talking about. Now, Caiaphas, the high priest, has been gunning for Christ for quite some time. All the way back in chapter 5, he was intent on killing Jesus. And uh, he felt that Christ was a a, a fake. Uh, he did not believe what Christ had to say. And to put the best possible light on Caiaphas's actions, he believed that Christ was a threat to the nation, that Christ was upsetting the status quo. You just didn't want to do that with Rome uh, being behind those powers. And here are their multitudes following after Christ, and he was concerned that it was not in the best interests of the nation, or well, at least not in his best interests uh, as a, a ruler in that nation. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 11, and I want you to see some of the fear that was uh, driving him. Christ had just finished performing an outstanding Standing and astounding miracle and the resurrection of Lazarus uh, he was not only dead um, the people said he stinketh uh, he was decomposing I mean he was really dead and yet if you look at uh, afterwards at chapter 11 verse 45 after this phenomenal miracle you see this Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did then the chief priests and the pharisees gathered a council and said what shall we do for this man works many signs notice that they don't deny the fact that jesus had been engaging in miracles in fact it's precisely those miracles that make them so intimidating goes on in verse 48 if we let him alone like this everyone will believe in him and the romans will come and take away both our place and nation you see their motivation there Uh, job security is at stake and so they are saying This is something we cannot go on. Now, they're worried, most of them, but Caiaphas is rather cocky. He thinks we can deal with this no problem. Verse 49, one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will come to this feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. And so dealing with Jesus was part of the, uh, uh, the solution to the problem, but it wasn't the only part. They also had to get rid of all of the evidence that pointed to Jesus, and here's a problem. Lazarus is telling everybody that wants to listen about this incredible miracle of his resurrection, and nobody can deny it. And so they feel they need to get rid of the evidence. Take a look at chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 11. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away, and Believed in Jesus. So they have a two-part plan first of all get rid of Jesus and secondly get rid of the evidence that pointed to Jesus and The first part of their plan seemed to be going along quite well by a stroke of providence uh, This hard-to-find man was finally captured they had uh, gotten a betrayer to betray Jesus and uh, for pretty cheap uh, Wages for 30 pieces of silver uh, Jesus was betrayed so they were able to capture Jesus But Peter kind of messes things up and brings even more testimony uh, to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we go back to chapter 18 of John, we're going to pick up at verse 10. Then Peter, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Have you seen the ear of Malchus? Well, those people definitely had seen it. They had seen it lopped off, falling onto the ground, uh, blood all over his clothes. He's no doubt holding his hand to his ear, trying to staunch the blood that's dripping down. Immediately, in Luke chapter 22, verse 51, Jesus says, Permit me this. And he goes to touch Lazarus. Now, strangely, they do give the permission. And all of the eyes would have been on him as he's reaching up to Malchus and he's without an ear and they see that ear grow back on uh, to his head. Now I say everybody witnessed this because we know it was the full moon. Passover occurs on the full moon, right? And so there's this bright moon overhead. They also have these torches and so there are witnesses galore. Now with that as a background, I think you can see that the healing of Malchus's ear really was a very significant event. Uh, John doesn't call Malchus a servant of the high priest, but the servant of the high priest. This was Caiaphas' personal valet. This is the guy that kept his schedule. This is the guy that went on errands for him, uh, ran his house. He did all of his work day by day before Caiaphas. And Caiaphas was going to be looking at that ear for a long time to come, unless he fired him. Uh, this was going to be a silent testimony to the Lord Jesus. And you can just imagine what happened when Caiaphas gets home that evening. He asks his servants, well, did you do what I told you to do? And they said, yep, everything went just as planned, and Jesus is in the prison right now. And he said, well, did you have any trouble? What's all this blood on your shirt? And uh, one of the, the, the servants kind of sheepishly look at each other and say, well, yeah, there was a little bit of trouble, but uh, no harm done. Everything's uh, solved. And he says, what do you mean no harm done? He's got blood all over him and one of the servants says well they cut off his ear which ear my right ear he says you're lying I see both ears right there and he, another person says no he's not lying he cut off his ear and we watch Jesus heal him and so here is a testimony to Caiaphas that uh, perhaps made him at least for a second or two wonder should I really have arrested Jesus made uh, the servants perhaps wondered that, but you know it's an amazing thing, depravity. It's an amazing thing what uh, desire for power, greed, pride, lust, other things can do to make us deliberately sin against knowledge. These people knew better. And yet for the remainder of Malchus' life, that ear remained a silent witness that Caiaphas had rejected the Son of God, the Messiah, every time he saw that, and maybe it even drove him a little bit crazy. Well, God has placed many similar uh, silent witnesses to the truths of Scripture all over the city. Uh, These are the ears of Malchus. And when you pray for a loved one, you can bank on the fact God has providentially put some kinds of witness into that person's life. And you can pray that that person would not ignore these testimonies. I don't think that Malchus ignored it um i may be wrong on this but i think the fact that they mention malchus's name if you look at the way uh unknown people anytime their names are mentioned in the gospels very frequently it's because they later on came to christ now i can't prove this but i think what john is doing here is he is saying you don't believe this uh, story here's a person that you can ask everybody knows malchus you can cross-examine this person you can talk to the people that know malchus and you can be assured that this miracle happened exactly how I said that it uh, happened. Let me give you some of the ears of Malchus that uh, may be in the city, some miraculous, some non-miraculous, usually non, just like the, the evidences in creation. A man and a woman are about to commit uh, the sin of adultery in the uh, hotel that they have gone to, and beside the bed is a Gideon's Bible. And you know, as you are prayer walking your communities, and as you are driving past a hotel, the Lord may prompt you to pray, you know, that maybe believers who are in that place would not fall into that sin. Or perhaps there is an unbeliever who has fallen into it already, that he would be convicted of his sin and would be driven to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for uh, his salvation. Uh, Whether it softens the heart of a Malchus or whether it hardens the heart of a Caiaphas, Uh, Either way, God is glorified through these witnesses that he puts in place. Or consider the atheistic university scholar at Creighton who doesn't have the time of day for Christ, but he's studying ancient literature, and he has to read the ancient book called Bishop Ulphilus. Every scholar who studies basic languages has to read that book, and it contains the truths of who Jesus is. And actually, uh, almost anybody who studies literature, Western literature, or Western history has these uh, these uh, testimonies uh, to the truths of the Scripture all throughout that literature. Or consider how impossible it is to totally keep Christ out of Christmas. Now, they're trying to do it more and more now, aren't they? And Whatever you think of Christmas, you do hear the Scriptures uh, being uh, brought into some of the department stores and you see the Messiah being sung at, at uh, um, Orpheum Theater. I think maybe last year they switched it to another... Uh, Place uh, Christmas cards, there's all kinds of ways in which people see, okay, the reason for this season is more than what we're just celebrating. Uh, Christ is behind this. Or consider the money in your pocket, which proclaims, in God we trust. And people think, boy, this nation sure doesn't seem like they're trusting in God very much. But I have known people who have seen that, and it's caused them to begin to consider the claims of God upon their lives. Just looking at that witness that's on that bill uh, of paper and we can fervently pray that if people in our city do not come to church to hear the message that the message would go out to them now you, you yourself may be an ear of melchus because your neighbors are looking at you to see these guys claim to be christians is there any difference between their life and our life i mean you're a testimony you are a witness uh, it may be a drive through a cemetery reading the tombstones but certainly god has written the law on every person's heart And God has made this very creation constantly to speak about his existence, his power, his love, his mercy, uh, his wrath. And um, we can bank on that knowledge when we're praying for them and when we are witnessing to them. You know, you don't even have to prove the existence of God because they know God exists. They know it. And, um, All we have to do is find that vulnerable spot where they have a hard time denying the truth of what they're trying to deny. And let me just give you an example of this. There are people who vigorously deny that there are any moral absolutes, but you can be sure if God wills this to happen, you can be sure that when their daughter gets raped or when something from them gets stolen, maybe their car gets stolen and totally cracked up by some jerk that uh, the liberal society has been coddling, Uh, he's going to have a moral outrage. And his moral outrage is going to be utterly, utterly inconsistent with his moral philosophy. But what we can point out is, yes, but it is totally consistent with the law of God that is written on your heart, which you cannot get away with. And so you can sympathize with him. You can, you can uh, say, uh, I agree with this. You won't call it of Melchus, but you can say, I agree that this is wrong. But the only way in which you can consistently say that this is wrong and that you can convince others to have a moral outrage is if there is an absolute standard for right and wrong above you, and that standard is God. You see, even the evil that is in this world points to a lawgiver. And the reason I say that is because you couldn't even define it as being evil unless there was a lawgiver against whom people are sinning. And so there are vulnerable points where uh, they have to bank on God's absolutes to even be able to survive. Francis Schaeffer uh, loves to give the example of the philosopher Cage, uh, who believed in total um, uh, chance, just random chance, meaningless chance, But the problem was he was an avid mushroom collector. And so when he went out gathering mushrooms, uh, he couldn't believe in total chance because he had to believe this shape of a mushroom always means it's poisonous. This shape of a mushroom always means that it is non-poisonous and I can eat it. He had to live as if there were no chance in this world. Otherwise, he would have died, right? And so Francis Schaeffer could point out to him that he was borrowing from Christian capital. He is being utterly inconsistent with the Christian worldview. And all of those are, as it were, ears of Malchus that are shouting to people, repent and turn to God. I do want to spend uh, a few minutes showing six ways in which this miracle was also a testimony to the nature of Christ's mercy and why it was he came to earth. So we're just Uh, We dealt with the uh, the intro, which is the bulk of the sermon. Now I want to just quickly take a look at some of these purposes. First of all, Christ healed an enemy. Malchus was one of the people who had come to arrest Jesus. He was one of the ones that Satan had been moving to murder him. And in Luke chapter 22, Christ points out their unfairness. He said, have you come out, out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Malchus was the one, uh, one of the ones who was, had owned this hour, uh, who was one of the minions of darkness. And yet Christ's mercy reached out to him. And I think this should be very, very encouraging to him. One of the very ones who was going to bind his hands and lead him like a lamb to the slaughter, he touched with compassion and grace. He didn't harbor bitterness in his heart like he could have. Uh, Even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now think of what it took for Jesus to do this because Jesus has been going through agony in prayer in the garden of Gethsemane as he has been uh, thinking about the father being shortly ready to turn his back upon him, to abandon him uh, so that we would not have to be abandoned as he is Uh, ready to have the sins of his people upon him as he's ready to go into these physical afflictions and these spiritual afflictions. Hebrews says he was so distressed that he cried out with strong cries to the father and the gospels say that he sweated great drops of blood. He was very, very preoccupied Uh, uh, with his sufferings. In just a few hours, probably millions of demons from around the world would be converging on Jesus to try to outdo him. And yet, despite the fact that he is preoccupied with his sufferings, he is not too preoccupied to overlook the small hurt that happened to one of his enemies. Which is just an amazing thing to me. And it was a small thing. It's just an ear compared to what Christ was going through. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Jesus thought of him and healed him when you are tempted to give up on people because of their rebellious attitudes toward Christ, because of the hardness of heart, think of what Christ did to this man. Don't be too quick to be sending your enemies and Christ's enemies to hell. You know, some of us are quick to judge. Think of how Christ handled them here. When you are tempted to treat people harshly who have treated you harshly and who have really hurt you, think of how Christ here was returning good for the evil that they had been doing to him. On the other hand, when you are tempted to think that you are too great of a sinner to be forgiven uh, and to be saved, or if you're a Christian, that you are too great of a sinner to once again come to Christ and to ask for forgiveness, I want you to think about his dealings with this man. For many years, I doubted my salvation. I had such a hard time growing up, believing that God could forgive me for some of the sins that I had committed, which just shows to me that I did not yet understand how bad I really was. I was far worse than what I really thought that I uh, was. And if you have a difficult time with forgiveness, it means that you still do not understand the depths of your depravity. You still are banking on that false notion that some people are more worthy of forgiveness than other people. Well, nonsense. Nobody is worthy of any forgiveness for any sin. And the remedy for such a person is to even more intensely preach the law of God till they come to the place where they realize that neither they nor anyone else is deserving of anything from Christ's hand. In fact, all that we can do is be ready for God's wrath or his mercy to fall upon us. Uh, One of the two. You see, Christ's forgiveness is not based upon how good we are. It's based upon how merciful and how good the Lord Jesus Christ is. Apart from him, we're all enemies. In fact, we're enemies that the scripture says would crucify to ourselves the Son of God afresh every day and put him to an open shame. But Christ came for sinners, to forgive sinners, did he not? To call sinners to repentance, not the righteous, and I think for that we can thank and praise and adore him. Ephesians says every one of us were enemies of Christ prior to regeneration and justification. And so that's the first point. He healed an enemy, shows that his purpose in, the, uh, in coming in his incarnation and in his uh, crucifixion resurrection was to be able to extend the rod of mercy out to sinners, to change enemies into friends. He came to do exactly that work. Secondly, he healed a slave. When verse 10 says that Peter drew his sword and he struck the high priest's servant, the word for servant there is actually slave. It is a bond slave. And yet, even a slave was important to Jesus. Even the slave of his mortal enemy was important to Jesus. There is no person who is in so insignificant that he would be overlooked by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said that he came to call the base things of this world and the things that are despised. And maybe this morning some of you feel like you're insignificant and like you are despised. Uh, I had one person tell me that he didn't think that there was much of anything that he could contribute, Uh, that um, uh, he was old and had wasted most of his life. he had come to Christ later on in life. He said... You know, I can't talk. There's not much of anything that I can do. I just feel so insignificant. Well, how significant do you think that people thought that this slave of Caiaphas uh, really was? Well, in one sense, he was pretty significant because he was representing Caiaphas. But in himself, he wasn't. It was because he represented Caiaphas. And in a very similar way, we have significance because of our union with Christ, because we represent Christ, but in ourselves, Really, not, no significance at all. It's not self-esteem that we should be seeking after, but christ esteem. We do have esteem, but it's because of Christ and what he has done for us. And once Malchus was saved, he became a man who was no longer anonymous, a man with a name. And prior to that, he was significant enough for Jesus to heal his ear. How significant do you think the thieves on the cross were? To the Jews, probably not very significant, certainly not to the Romans, But one of them was significant enough that Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And you can even look at that slave aspect from another angle, that uh, in some senses we are um, slaves to sin, to Satan, and to this world system apart from Jesus. And Christ came to set his people free, uh, free from the misery of sin and free from bondage. And so if any of you are stuck in bondage to pornography, to alcohol, to any other thing that uh, is gripping and holding your life, Jesus Christ says, you're not insignificant to me and the things you're going through are not insignificant. I have come precisely for that. Thirdly, Jesus healed an ear. (laughs) He didn't say, oh, it's just an ear. Uh, You know, I've got a lot more important things to worry about than an ear. No, he does not ignore even the small wounds that we have. Um, he was wounded for our transgressions, but the scripture indicates, even our sicknesses he bore. By his stripes we are healed. There is nothing that is too insignificant for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he tells us to cast our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for us, even the insignificant things. Fourthly, Christ healed Malchus, knowing full well the pain that he would soon suffer at the hands of Malchus's master. Verse four says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, that's a very significant phrase, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? Now, if you were in a similar circumstance and you knew ahead of time what these people were about to do to you, the kind of torment that they would put you through, would you heal a And yet, that is precisely the heart and the character of God. Knowing full well this was our nature, knowing full well that uh, we would be traitors against Him, He died for us. He opened the eyes of our understanding. He healed us. He brought us to Himself. And it just blows my mind to think God knows the thousands and tens of thousands of sins that I will commit in my future life, and yet he's gracious to me right now. He knows full well. It, just, it, it, it ought to cause us to, to worship, to love, and to adore him. As uh, Rodney said uh, last time, he doesn't just forgive us seven times, nor 70 times seven, which is 490. His point is he does not keep track. This means that the loved one who has rejected your witness You're so discouraged over this. And he's rejected Christ is not beyond the power of his mercy. This means the blasphemer down the street is not beyond the power of his mercy. When you pray for others, take comfort from the character of Christ that was demonstrated here. Fifth, perhaps most most remarkable to me, was that Jesus healed Malchus when Jesus had the power to be able to destroy these men. Now, take a look at verse 6 where you see a hint of that. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. (laughs) They were stumbling all over themselves to get away from Jesus. They're scared to death of him. They fell backwards to the ground is what happened. There was something about him that showed that Jesus was in control, not them. When Peter drew his sword, Matthew records these words from Christ to Peter. Do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Matthew 26:53. And I wonder if some of their falling to the ground as they see these 12 angel, legions of angels and the demons that are behind them are afraid and they're moving back. I don't know what the reason was for that. But think of the incredible self-control that Jesus has as he's holding back these legions of angels who are probably itching for a word from Christ so that they can come with their swords and destroy these enemies of the Lord. The self-control that Jesus had. We have a world filled with men with as much perfidity as Malchus and this crowd. And let me tell you something. The fact that he does not wipe them off the face of the map is not because he lacks the power to do so. It's because he is so full of patience and so full... Of mercy. When we pray for our city, when we pray for our nation, we are going to a God of patience, which means we're going to have to have some patience as well, right? A God of mercy. And even though we may wonder why it is that God has not destroyed America as He's destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, we can glory in the fact that this mercy, this patience, exalts and glorifies. The lord god we may not understand why god allows the persecution of his church in, in china but we can know for sure it's not because he lacks the power to do so rather it demonstrates his abundance of mercy and then finally jesus healed a man during the great hour of darkness that had come upon the world the greatest hour of darkness luke twenty-two fifty-three 53 says but this is your hour and the power of darkness now think about this if jesus could heal during the world's greatest hour of darkness if he could care for the thief on the cross moments after that thief had been blaspheming him along with the other because uh, one of the gospels indicates both of them were blaspheming if he could care for his mother during the midst of his torture and hand her to john and say john i want you to care for her then he can surely be someone you can trust to care for you during your hours of darkness that you face this healing of malchus to me shows how selfless was christ's love and it also shows to me that it doesn't matter how dark the world is jesus is the light of the world he can handle that darkness can't he and it doesn't matter how far from the gospel people may appear to be jesus is sufficient and god's grace is sufficient to draw them no matter how resistant they may be and i just praise god he has not left himself without a witness Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that indeed you have not left this world without a witness. Those who go to hell are going on their own initiative. Uh, They are going, uh, hating you, knowing full well that they have been suppressing the knowledge of you, that they have been disobeying your word. They have been ignoring all of the testimonies that surround them. And, Father, that you are glorified in their judgment. Those who come to Christ many times you lead through these testimonies to inquire of you and of your word. And Father, I pray that you would give to us an incredible confidence in the power of your grace to conquer the hardest hearts and to believe that there is no one that is beyond the power of the gospel. I pray that as we witness, uh, we would go recognizing it's not through the eloquence of our lips that people are converted, uh, but it is through your sovereign mercy through the giving of the scriptures and father may we have a confidence that you are able you're able not only to call but you are also able to keep us from stumbling and we thank you for these witnesses that you have strewn across our path forgive us for being blind to them and i pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding to be always sensitive to your holy spirit we pray in christ's name amen